page 896 in the hymnal. Lord's Day 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read responsibly. What does the sixth petition mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. How do you conclude this prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This means we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. What does that little word Amen mean? Amen means this shall truly and surely be. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from Him. Amen. Let's ask for the Spirit's help. Our Heavenly Father, we ask You now to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves and into the face of Your Son, whom You have appointed our Mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, we ask you, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and building up of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ and a dependence on His Holy Spirit. Amen. We have arrived at the end of the Catechism. 52 Lord's Days. There's actually been 53 of them in this calendar year. And we've uh, done some combining and some weeks where we've had to skip for one reason or another. But this long trek has brought us now to the end of this Catechism, which has taken us on the path... From guilt to grace to gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. That is the form of the Christian life. We always find ourselves ready to acknowledge that we are guilty before God, that His grace has been poured out upon us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we have nothing else to offer to Him except our gratitude, to be living sacrifices of thanks. And for the last many weeks, we've been looking at that particular expression of gratitude that we call prayer. What the Catechism says is the most important part of our thankfulness to God is prayer. And we've been guided in these meditations by the prayer that the Lord himself taught us. The old Presbyterian minister, Matthew Henry, was right when he said this about the Lord's Prayer. He said, the expressions are remarkably concise and yet vastly comprehensive. Remarkably concise, 
and vastly comprehensive. That is the beauty of this prayer that the Lord has given to us. It has taught us how to bring all the needs of both body and soul to the Lord and to cast our cares upon him because we know that he cares for us. And tonight we learn the meaning of the sixth petition, the conclusion to the prayer, and even the meaning of that final word, Amen. The Lord's Prayer ends with an acknowledgement of weakness, a plea for God's power, and rest in His answers. That's how this prayer ends. First then, the sixth petition teaches us to acknowledge our weakness. To acknowledge our weakness. This final request in the prayer that Jesus taught us says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the Catechism summarizes this request for us by saying, We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. We cannot stand on our own for a moment. We think that we stand on our own. We act like we stand on our own, but we cannot stand on our own even for a moment. Any victory that we find in the Christian life over sin and temptation is because God has faithfully held us in his hand and caused us to stand upright in the face of temptation. And the the prayer that Christ has given us has taught us to acknowledge two of our earlier scripture readings help demonstrate this need. That we have to acknowledge our weakness. Numbers chapter 14. Again, that is when the spies that Moses sent out into Canaan come back and they give a bad report. Ten out of the twelve of them give a bad report. They said that this land couldn't actually be inherited, even though it had been promised to them by God. And to deny that they could get it was to deny the promises of God. Just turn their back on the word of God. And so this represents a great rebellion against God's promise and his command to enter that land. And to boot, they tried to overthrow Moses, choose a new leader for themselves instead of the leader that God had appointed, and go back to the land of their captivity. We read in the prophets, in the the prophet Jeremiah, that they turned in their hearts back to Egypt. What, a, what better picture is there of, of temptation and falling into sin because of temptation than to turn in our hearts back to Egypt, to go back to the captivity from which we've been freed. And here the Israelites do this very thing. And this passage is one of several to which Paul looks back when he says in 1 Corinthians 10, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. And uh, we are the ones, he says, on whom the end of the ages has come. We are in the end times. We have been since Christ came down and he ascended into heaven. We are in that final stage before he returns once again. The end of the ages has already come. And what has happened to the people of Israel in the past is to be an instruction for us now in this age. Therefore, Paul says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
Loved ones in Christ, let your daily prayers acknowledge this weakness. The history of Israel is a picture writ large for the whole world to see of every single human heart. Why did God put the nation of Israel under such a strict law? It was to prove to them and to the whole world that we need a Savior and that we are weak and cannot obey the commandments of God on our own. We fall without God's power upholding us. And so if we think we stand, we must take heed lest we fall. The sixth petition teaches us to ask God to do two things in particular. Lead us not into temptation, so it's a negative thing. Don't lead us into temptation. And then a positive thing. Deliver us from evil. One of the hard truths of the Bible is that God himself brings us trials. He leads us into trials, into tests of our faith. As by the hand, as by the hand of a father, he takes us into trials. And uh, we are willing to understand this when, when it comes to our human relationships. But for some reason, it disturbs us to think that God does it. The great American swimmer, Michael Phelps, won more Olympic gold medals than anyone else in history. But he didn't do that without his coach, Bob Bowman, who had an extremely tough reputation. And he put Michael Phelps and his teammates through intense tests. Tests of strength, tests of their will to push them. And without such tests, Michael Phelps would not be Michael Phelps. Not the the winningest Olympian in history. No athlete becomes great without being plunged into such tests by the design of their coaches. And no Christian learns to stand upright in the kingdom of God without their heavenly father leading them by the hand and to test of their faith. If we're willing to recognize this dynamic in very imperfect men, very sinful people, how much more should we acknowledge that it is how God, the perfect God and the perfect father leads his people? He tests us, brothers and sisters, and we should not be afraid not only to acknowledge it, but when trials and tests come, to say, this is somehow from the Lord, I may not understand it, but I will see it as from his hand, and I will pray in that direction. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because Scripture makes a distinction between tests and temptations. Sometimes it even uses the same word to describe tests that come from God and temptations that come from evil. James chapter 1 famously says that he who has stood the test will receive the crown of life. And then in the very next verse it says, God himself tempts no one. God himself tempts no one. God tests But he does not tempt to evil, ever. He does not tempt to evil. And so James says, when some temptation comes to us, let us never say, God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted and he tempts no one. But he does test us. Here's the thing. 
we tend to conflate these things and we end up causing ourselves to stumble as a result. Here's what we have to recognize as the people of God. We have to be very shrewd and wise about this. Trials that come from God's hand become prime opportunities for temptation when the devil and the world and the flesh get involved. Trials and tests that come from God and are meant for our good become the opportunities for temptation when evil gets involved. It was during a time of loss and pain that the devil came to tempt Job. Or in the New Testament, as Paul was planting churches in very difficult circumstances, we read that his co-worker Demas was lured away by love of the world. The world tempted him and he fell. And it is during our own wilderness wanderings, brothers and sisters, when our sinful flesh tells us, go ahead and sin this once. It's not that bad. You've been good. You've earned it. People don't know what you're going through. You've earned this one little slip up. Don't worry about it. It is in the midst of tests of faith and usually during difficulties that that is exactly when the devil, the world, the flesh are at their finest, which we don't want them to be. These things certainly test us. Evil comes and and tempts us during good times as well, of course. But we find particular vulnerabilities that we're focusing upon here in this petition of the Lord's Prayer when it comes to hardships. And so Paul says, knowing this dynamic, he says, But anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Paul even says in Galatians, That if you are to find a brother or sister who is in sin and you want to restore them, do so gently lest you puff yourself up in the process and think you're better than them. We we must be aware that we are always prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And if we think we are standing, we must take heed lest we fall. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has taught you to pray in a way that acknowledges this weakness. That you endure God's tests. And that the devil would not be allowed to turn such tests into outright temptations. But that if he does, if the devil manages to do so, you would resist and not let the temptation turn into outright sin. To be tempted is not a sin. Don't feel guilty for being tempted for a moment. But also be shrewd and wise and recognize that when temptation comes, you are vulnerable and you must find strength not in yourself, but in God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have to be rescued out of temptation and out of evil. So we must learn to acknowledge our weakness. Secondly, we plead for God's power. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to plead for his power. In an important way, all six petitions of the Lord's Prayer implicitly plead with God for his power. You know, we need our daily bread that comes from the power of God. And we need, we need to be forgiven of our sins that comes from the power of God, of course. But the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer acknowledges this openly. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It teaches us to locate power properly. Where does it come from? God. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory. When we say for thine is the kingdom, it teaches us to remember that God is our almighty king. When we say thine is the power, it reminds us that he is both willing and able to save us. It would do us no good if he were willing to save us, but couldn't because he's not powerful enough. But we say for thine is the power because he is able and he is willing. And we say for thine is the glory because it reminds us that all our prayers and all our life for that matter must aim for God's glory and not our own. When we aim our prayers so that God is glorified rather than us, it helps us to see that the answers to our prayers come from his hand, not our own. How many Christians have struggled with such and such a sin and then found a season of victory over it only to fall into pride as though they answered their own prayer? Lead me not into temptation. And now I'm finally seeing victory over this sin. I did it. No, you prayed to God. God did it for you. So we fall from one, from one sin and into the other as though we answer our own prayers. But no, we are taught to sum up our prayers by pleading for God himself to bear his mighty arm and to provide the power that we need and to receive all the glory as a result. Pleading for God's power not only teaches us to look to God himself for strength, it helps us to look in particular to Christ. When temptation comes to you, brothers and sisters, don't forget Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. I I find those records of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to be among the most moving and powerful in the New Testament. Because Jesus is doing a very subtle form of almighty combat with the devil on the night before his crucifixion. Do not forget his monumental struggle against the worst possible temptations. And he's done this for you. He's done it for you. He's the God-man. And in the end, he has always had and had at that moment the power to overcome such temptations. But he has done it to secure a perfect righteousness and holiness for you, brothers and sisters. He has done it to secure for you in your moment of need the power that you need to stand upright under temptation. His victory over such evil and sin becomes your victory. You're united to him. You're linked to him by faith. His victory is yours. He is the way of escape when the devil begins to turn up the heat. So plead with Christ for this strength, the strength that he demonstrated throughout his earthly ministry and that he in a particularly poignant way demonstrated in his hour of temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. When family struggles turn into temptation, To lash out. You see when a trial turns into a temptation. Plead with Christ for his strength. 
When the world is signaling to you that you're suffering, it, it gives you license to do what you want, to indulge in sin, plead with Christ for his power. When Satan uses illness and injury to tempt you for, to forsake God, plead with Christ for his power. He stands watch for you when you will not stand watch for yourself. Even in the heavens now, he intercedes for you, brothers and sisters. His power is made perfect in your weakness. It is available to you. And when you recognize this and plead with Christ for his strength, he receives the glory. Finally, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to rest in God's answers. In our Lord's Day liturgies, we say amen a lot. We say it a lot together. And we're also taught to end our prayers this way as well. Why do we do that? Amen is an expression of faith in the promises of God. It's an expression of faith. Faith resides in the heart, and when you say amen, you're putting a word to it. You're expressing that faith in the promise by saying, Amen. This is a connection that Paul makes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what he says here. He says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. In union with Jesus Christ, we look at all the promises of God, and through him we say, Amen. Let it be done. It will truly and surely be, because God keeps his promises, and he answers our prayers according to his will, and it will certainly go the way God commands it to go. It will truly and surely be. In other words, brothers and sisters, amen is not like a throwaway word. We just, you know, by custom, we happen to say it at the end. It is a word that wraps up our prayers in certainty. It wraps up our prayers in a way that we have assurance that God hears our prayers, will answer our prayers according to his will, and that this certainty is better than the desire that we feel in our hearts about wanting such and such a thing from him. You know, our desires go up and down. When we want good things from God, which, you know, we do as Christians, we want the things of God. We want to be made holy. We want Him to give us our daily bread and so forth. But our desires for these good things go up and down. They wax and wane. But His promises do not. And the certainty that He will give us what we need does not. That certainty does not wax and wane. And so to participate in that certainty and to participate in that assurance, we say, Amen. It will truly and surely be. Whether it is at the end of our prayers or after we've heard Scripture read or at the end of our creeds, whatever it happens to be, we are assenting to God. Yes and Amen. Jesus Christ has come and He will do according to God's will for it alone is good. Maybe you didn't know so much was packed into that little word. But through Jesus Christ, we utter our amen to the glory of God. And we rest assured that his answers will come, whether we like them or not, 
whether we like the timing of them or not, his answers will come and he will always do right by us. So loved ones in Christ, may the prayer that the Lord Jesus has taught us be our faithful guide. It's not the only prayer that we pray, but it is certainly the main one that we ought to learn and teach ourselves and teach our children, not only as a prayer in and of itself, but as a pattern for prayer to help us have a robust prayer life, to know that he wants us to come into his presence, that he longs as our heavenly father to hear what we need, even though he already knows what we need before he asks. He loves this relationship. He loves for us to meditate upon his promises to bring all of our prayers and petitions to him. So I commend to you this prayer for lifelong meditation and study. That each petition would be to you precious and would be like a seed that grows into a tree that helps you to pray all the needs that you have and offer them up to the Lord for his praise and for his glory. Let its simplicity encourage you to bring your simple prayers to God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we ask you this evening to assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and our lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.